0: on today's episode of Diving In.
1: Of course I've changed. I hope you say that about me every year for the rest of my life.
2: Welcome to Diving In, a podcast aiming to explore the deeper themes behind the entertainment and content creation industries. I'm Leslie Mosier, And I'm Marissa Mullen. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Happy
0: Tuesday, and welcome to a new exciting episode of Diving In. First, we just want to say thank you so much to all of our new listeners and for everyone who's been leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. It really, really helps us, and we are just so grateful for everyone taking the time to listen and getting deep with us. So Ruthie Lindsay is our guest today, and she is a speaker, author, podcast host, and social media figure. She travels the globe sharing her unbelievable story, empowering others to find purpose in their pain, and to look for beauty in the midst of their sacred
2: wounds. Ruthie released a memoir, There I Am, The Journey from Hopelessness to Healing, in 2020, and continues to teach healing workshops and retreats today. In this episode, we dive deep on the themes surrounding working through pain, shame, and the importance of honoring all parts of yourself. It was a truly impactful conversation, and we can't wait for you to listen. So here is Ruthie Lindsay. Let's dive in.
0: (laughs) All right, everybody, welcome Ruthie Lindsay to Diving In. How are you today?
1: I'm so happy to be (laughs) with y'all. I was just telling you I have COVID, but it's a very mild, it was like a cold. Um, But just emotionally, I feel very grounded and empowered um, physically, you know, just a little <laughs> not right, <laughs> but just really grateful to be here with y'all and get to see your beautiful faces and to dive in with you and to connect with you. It's it's such an honor um, to share the space. So thank you so much for having me.
2: Of course. We're so honored to have you here. And it's so funny how we all kind of know each other through different ways. So Ruthie, you and I met through John Batiste when I was working for him, (laughs) and you came over to the studio to record a podcast um, for your podcast that you did. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to the recording in real time, and just it was such a profound conversation. And that's Mm -hmm. like the origin of diving deep. You guys went so deep in that that topic. And it was just meeting you in person. You have such a warm energy that it's just like infectious. And so, so happy to get to meet you then. And now we're back here. And how did you two meet you and Leslie? Well,
0: I followed Ruthie for a while and was just kind of in awe of your story. And as someone who you know, was living in chronic pain. You were just like this kind of like Nashville, like oh, Ruthie. like, I had never oh. met you in person, but we we have some mutual friends. And then I got an email from either you or your book team. And they were like, we want to send you or you you email me. You're like, we want to send you a book. And then you were like, do you want to come over for a tea ceremony? <laughs> and we had this just really incredible morning together. and it like there was no bullshit. It was just like, I see you, you see me. Let's yes. have this like really incredible, empowering experience. And then now we're now we're real friends.
1: Yes. Oh, it's been the sweetest thing. Yeah. I um, love, love, love that morning with you. And it's such a little portal in my – you can kind of see the IT room back there just a little bit. But getting to share that space with people and you just like – I just fell in love with you instantly this precious beautiful soul and it was that's right I don't know how to like do the surfacy middle car- <laughs> that's no. not my script. Yeah, so we, we just <laughs> yeah we just we dove in and it was like oh there you are hi sweet human I see you and Aww. yeah that was it it was so beautiful so the normal way we do
0: this podcast is we start with surface level questions that you would hear like in a normal interview and then we would dive, you know, deeper and deeper as the the topics and conversation went on. But yeah. Marissa and I were talking before this and we were just saying how this is probably just going to be deep <laughs> deep all throughout and we're so
1: ready for it. <laughs> I'm here for anything you want to talk. I mean, I am an open book. You can ask me about... Absolutely anything. Yeah. I mean we can stay as wherever you want, you know, whatever well, you want to do is
2: perfect. To to start it off, just before we go super deep, we'll have some yeah. nice rapid fire questions because we love perfect. to do that. <laughs> I love that. Yes. So to get started, what is your favorite dog breed? What is your favorite cheese? And what oh. song do you currently love to dance to?
1: Oh my god, these are such great questions. Okay. Favorite dog breed is literally Every dog breed, is there a, I, I am like, I mean, Leslie does this. I am a animal freak on a level <laughs> that's so, it actually like has caused a lot of suffering for me in the past because I love them so much that I like the idea of any animal hurting or being treated poorly. Like it, it, um, yeah, it does quite a number on my little sensitive soul. So it, I and I mean this from the depths of my soul, all animals, like I, all dogs all breeds um especially mutts I love mm, mutts so cute. <laughs> I love a mutt um yeah so that that's not very specific but it's also the truth <laughs> um and I loved a whipped feta
2: Ooh, oh so good yes can
1: I cuss on here are y'all bleeping yeah What's... go for it cuss away okay because I love the fuck word at like
2: a whipped Fucking feta cheese just like
1: does things to my body.
2: I don't even. With like a little bit of honey in there, a little bit of red pepper. So good.
1: Oh my God. Yes. There's a place um, my girlfriend uh, got the recipe from that like she makes it anytime we're all together and it it kills me.
2: Um, And what was the third question I forgot? Your favorite song to dance to.
1: That's actually hard because there's so many and I try, I'm actually doing Suleika's 100 Day Project where I dance every day. So I have such a, I know I don't look like I would listen to the dirtiest hip hop that ever was. I mean, I want a song that makes me want to like hump the air. Like I love (laughs) grinding my body and dancing, but then I also love this like ethereal, like you, you know, Leslie, you heard my tea playlist. I mean, I listened to that basically every day and it's very ethereal and fairy goddess-like and so beautiful and profound and then I want to listen to like the dirtiest (laughs) raunchiest like I was listening to a song right now it's what
2: is the name of it because it's so perfect you need a good balance you know life requires balance
1: You know, and it's beautiful, and I love all of it, but it's literally, it's initials, but it's like, come fuck me right now is
2: is what it says over and over and over. And you're like, woo, just driving (laughs) let's go. I love that, I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah, there's also a song
1: called Goddess that I was dancing to that I um, danced to at this, like, ecstatic dance thing I went to, and I listened to that one a lot also because it's very, like, tribal, and it's Mm. very feminine, but it just makes you want to, like, move your body in such profound ways so that's probably one also music
0: is incredible Marissa and I have like the same music taste when it comes to early mm. 2000s throwback and oh, yeah. we talk a lot Michelle about Michelle Branch Michelle Branch <laughs> The Lizzie McGuire soundtrack. Yes. Um, anything from L- legally blonde. <laughs> nailing it. Nailing
2: it. <laughs> you know? you are nailing it. It was yes. a simpler
0: time. But it's so Perfect. good for your inner child and yes. even your inner teen. Marissa and I have been yes. talking a lot about that um, to listen to those things that just make mm. you really happy. And it doesn't matter, you yes. know, how old you are or how mature you are. It's like, no, music is music. We're going to listen to what yes. makes us happy. Yes.
1: yes. yes. It's medicine. Mm-hmm. It yes. really is. I have. I am so obsessed with music. And it's funny because I'm just a consumer, not just, I'm a consumer. Like I make nine quadrillion playlists. I have playlists that literally are the soundtrack to almost every season of my life. I've ever, I have ones from elementary, I have ones for high school, I have ones from like all the different homes I live and the places I've worked and seasons of life. And they, they just transport me and they, they literally are medicinal for me. They are um, music. It just, I love peace and quiet, but I also like music is usually playing in my home because it, it just, I, I'm also a four on the Enneagram, so I feel things like really, 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 really deeply. So music can move me on levels that not always many other things can, and it's such a soul connection for me, you know? So I love that so much. I'm a four too, I think. I, I got to figure mine out.
2: I think I'm like a two, three. I don't know. I'm like the helper.
1: <laughs> y'all are amazing. y'all are absolutely amazing. Us <laughs> fours feel all the things. We're very emotional in the best way it's It's so beautiful. You oh, know I
2: love that. So let's kind of start out with um, your background. So where did mm-hmm. you grow up? What were you What was Ruthie Lindsay like as a kid or as a teen?
1: Yeah. give us
2: a little background.
1: Oh, I was so precious. I love that little version of me. I was very basic. <laughs> and perfect. (laughs) But I just wanted to fit in. I grew up in South Louisiana, grew up on a farm in a tiny, tiny town. Um, I went to a tiny, there one school in Mississippi, like right over the border and with 23 people in my class until I was in eighth grade and then switched to the public school, um, which was the only public school in St. Francisville, Louisiana, where I grew up um, for high school. And I wanted more than anything on planet earth is to belong and to fit in. And so I, you know, I was in there. I was definitely in there, but I wasn't who I am today. I learned how to fold. I learned how to cut parts of myself off to belong. Mm -hmm. Cause I just, Mm -hmm. I know, I knew how to work with people. I remember being a really little girl, probably second grade. And I was like, If you smile really big at people, they'll like you. And if you ask them a ton of questions, you don't have to talk about yourself and they'll love you even more. Just ask them questions. And I was probably like second grade. I mean, I was young, but I had really high emotional intelligence school not so much. <laughs> I barely could read, but I knew how to work with people. You know, that was something that I was very attuned to. And I knew how to get the pings, how to get the endorphins. I knew how to get them to like me because I thought mm-hmm. that's what, that, you know, that was my worth. That was my value. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very kind of, you know, There are so many beautiful humans in my town. And it was also very, um, there's a lot of racism and a lot of sexism and a lot of, patriarchal just you know our culture but like my dances were segregated like crazy shit yeah um and a lot of people don't leave my town um And I always knew I would, like, even though I I love being there, I was very popular. I had a ton of friends. I, I knew how to get people to love me, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I really, I love really deeply. I would love really, really deeply. There's no like in between for me. And I, so I had a ton of friends and I was very popular. And, um, my whole world switched up when I was a senior in high school. I was, um, I died in a car accident. I was hit by an ambulance and, So much that was the beginning of a massive shift for the rest of my life that I couldn't have even begun to imagine. Um, it impacted everything, then it deeply impacted me starting in my 20s. Um, because I, you know, I'd broken my neck. I back then they used wire and spinal cord fusions, and so when they put that in, I, I was really lucky. I like. I was in the hospital for about a month. I was on life support, the whole thing. I mean, it was it was oh crazy. He broke a lot of and things. you were 18. I had just turned 17. I was really young for my wow, so young. I was a baby. I had turned 17 two months, two weeks before my accident. And it actually happened on my dad's birthday, November 2nd. So that's my second birthday. Um wow. and yeah, I mean, that's a whole thing. There's tons of info out there about it. But I was very defined by that pain story for a really long time, you know. And yeah. And I was so disassociated. I mean, I would talk about it in third person all the time, like it had happened to someone right. else. I would be like, oh, it was way harder on my family and my friends than it was me. And I don't even remember it. Like, I, I'm i fine. Like, they really suffered, but I'm I'm great. And I really mm-hmm. believed that. And I, I didn't cry for like five years after that wreck. Um, I had a really strong disordered eating. I was a binger and that's how I learned how to survive. Like I just stuffed, Mm -hmm. but then I would show up and smile so big. No one knew I was suffering, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't think I even really understood. I was so cut off emotionally.
2: Yeah. And like so young and also going from like being a sec like in second grade Having those mechanisms of being like, if I smile, if I ask people questions, that's all I have to do. And then you go through this big trauma and you're like, okay, well, if I smile and ask other people questions, I don't have to talk about myself. I don't have to talk about what I went through. It's like, and then you didn't go through that, you know, coming of age of like 18, 19, 20 Mm -hmm. to like create a new sense of identity. Like that's such a hard time to go through something so traumatic.
1: Yeah, it was deeply, deeply impactful, and I didn't understand that at the time. I I was so not in my body and that started way earlier than that. That just impacted it even more yeah. and um, I had no context of how to feel trauma. I mean, I didn't do any therapy. In my home, it was like, you you be a sweet, good, kind girl and, you know, pretty and appropriate and I did every, I never got in trouble. I never drank. I never smoked. I never, you know, I had no boyfriends. I was just like, I want to be so good because I didn't know no, I was inherently just good because I exist, you know, and I all my work This and what other people thought about me. And so I cut off so many parts. I cut off the part of me that had so much fear. That wasn't allowed. You know, I wasn't allowed to have tantrums or rage or anger. It was like, no, you be polite, sweet, kind, sweet little girl. And that was the number one thing. And so all those parts of me were so stuffed down. And I had no understanding of how to access feelings. I just swallowed anything that came up. I stuffed it with food or with a TV screen, you know? Mm-hmm. And then right after school, I met my first boyfriend and my parents were like convinced I was a lesbian. I'm like, I wish, I wish I loved women. That would be <laughs> such a dream. That would be so amazing. But I like the pain. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, we were so sweet and earnest. I was working at a church and we got married 10 months after meeting because we felt so such debilitating shame about having sex. I'm such Aww. a sensual, sexual person, but I had never explored it because I'd never had a boyfriend. And I didn't think, yeah. I thought I would wait till marriage. And then the second we started dating, I'm like, panties dropped. <laughs> oh my God. I love- <laughs> You're like, give me the ring right now. <laughs> and so we got married because we were just the sweetest little idiots. And about a year into our marriage, I started having debilitating pain. And they didn't know why we just thought it was because of my wreck you know and it was like something had settled in and it took them years years and years to discover that one of the wires from my fusion had broken and pierced my brain and so i lived in a bed for 7 years just in wow gnarly debilitating horrific pain, taking every narcotic on the highest level of fentanyl, morphine, hydrocodone, Lyrica, lunest. I mean, you can kind of name it. I've done it. I've taken it. And I just took anything they suggested because I was so miserable. And I looked to them as like the authority, you know, like you just yeah. help fix me, make me better, you know? And so that just set me on a, one of the darkest, I mean there's so much that goes into it. I lost my dad right after we found out about the wire and so many things happened. I lost my marriage to a good friend of mine. I mean just it was just like trauma on trauma on trauma on trauma and it broke me. I had massive massive nervous breakdown. I mean I had little breakdowns along the way, but it um it was a part of the journey. Like it it became a part of my invitation to ultimately wake up. I mean, it was so brutal and it was a million little deaths, a million little deaths of who I thought I was and what I thought made me valuable. And I'd always been the good girl that everyone loved that smiled all the time and was so vivacious and but empty and just dead inside, you know? And then all of a sudden I was this like, couldn't take care of myself, couldn't function, addicted to all these narcotics, couldn't get out of bed, completely frozen. That's my trauma response you know going through divorce i mean it was just it i all the identities that i had built up to feel safe in the world fucking burned down
0: what was was there a specific moment when you felt that awakening mm. when you because you had a, a major surgery mm-hmm. did that help the pain or i mean healing is obviously a very non linear process and yeah. so you know you can put a lot of weight emotionally into this surgery will cure me, but you're left with all of that trauma, all of the darkness, and that's something you truly have to climb yourself Mm -hmm. out of. Yeah. Um, So what was that like?
1: So it was about five years in when they realized the wire was in my brain and and they were like, we have to get this out ASAP. And no one's ever had this before. You're the only human in the world. Um, This itself could cause... Paralysis, brain damage, or you could die. Like it, and they don't know because no one had ever done this surgery. And so I ended up being pursued by all these doctors. They like kind of get off on being the first person to do something. So I was like pretty heavily pursued, um, and I ended up choosing Mayo and they, this top neurologist, top orthopedic. And we just actually two days ago was the 12 year anniversary of that surgery. Wow. And. They, you know, hoped it would help with my pain, but they're like, we want you walking alive, brain functioning. Like it's, you're the taking time bomb right now. And if we don't get it out, this is not going to end well, you know? And so it was just so scary. Oh my God. It was so scary. Oh, that's When When they told you that,
0: did you feel like you couldn't even move even more than before? Like you
1: were... I well, it was interesting because, like, we found out about the wire. My dad was on his way to see me to tell me he'd sell our farm because it was this pre-existing injury, and insurance wasn't going to cover it. And on his mm-hmm. way to see me, he ended up um, falling and passing away of brain damage. And it was just this, like, oh my goodness. I remember at the time feeling like, if there is a guy, that they must
2: hate me. Like, for also everything that you know you always did the right thing, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And like with, you know, the, with religion, it's like, if you do the right thing, God will give it back. And how do you even know that God is even real at that point? How do you even have like a sense of spirituality at that point when you, one thing after another, after another, it's like, you can't catch a break. And this is not just like a month of bad things. It's like years and years and years. Like,
1: wow. Yeah, it was so dark. And, you know, we'll get to the, if anyone's sticking with this, there's so much redemption and so much goodness that comes. But at the time, that was a part of my soul's journey to go through so much dark night of the soul and so much, everything had to burn down. And yeah, like, and it's the natural progression. Like Richard Rohr talks about order, disorder, reorder. Like I grew up in the Mm -hmm. very ordered. This is what you do to stay safe, fit in this box. God fits in this box. Everyone out there is like, You know, going to hell, we need to pray for them because we have all the answers. And then Mm -hmm. you almost have to hate it to have the strength to leave it. Mm-hmm. When my world imploded, I was just like, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I didn't want anything to do with God. Like, if you say the name Jesus, I'm like, in my head, giving you the bird. I'm like, do not talk to me. And it's it wasn't who Jesus is. It was the Jesus I was taught about by these old yeah. white men. You know what I mean? Right. And mm-hmm. it was this very patriarchal Jesus. And women couldn't teach. And men, um, only men could lead. And it goes, God, Father, Husband, and then the Lady <laughs>
2: Give me a right. break. It's so <laughs> crazy. Oh my God. And this is like this is like the what nineties that all this, this was like when you're when you're the 2000s. You're young. yeah. Yeah, 2000s. Yeah. It's like this yeah. is not something that is like the 1800s. No, we're my about.
1: family's still a part of it. Like that's still, this is very much today happening everywhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I had to throw it all out. And that's the natural progression. That that is the perfect part of the journey. That's how and everyone mm. won't leave that ordered state right? And it's this very dualistic, it's us against them. And the disordered is like everything implodes. You throw the baby out with the bathwater. You kind of have to look at them and almost like, I, you know, I would look and be like, you close-minded, ignorant. And it's still this very dualistic us against them because not one's better than the other. It's still so judgmental. It's so critical. And I was parked in the disorder phase for a very long time. And that Part of my journey was needed and perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the third stage is the reorder stage. And that is that is when you actually move into the non-dual where it's like, there's not good or bad. It's just is. And mm-hmm. every, there's not us against them. It's just we. Like I am connected to this bird, to this tree, to that dog sitting at your mm-hmm. feet. Like everything and everyone is connected. And I can actually love those parts of my journey, because I couldn't be the woman sitting across from you today. I couldn't be this version of me if I had not gone through every part of this. And that does not like, you know, it doesn't dismiss how painful, how traumatic, how heart wrenching, like I have so much empathy for that girl. I love her. Oh, and my heart breaks for what she's lived through. And I would not change one thing. I love the woman that I get to be today. I love the life I get to live, the body that I get to inhabit, the work that I get to do. None of it had been possible if all these things, like I really believe my soul signed up for all of it. Like I, I truly yeah. believe my soul signed up, and then we have free will. I could have stayed parked in any of those stages. I could have stayed right. parked in the ordered state. I could have stayed parked in the like, oh, I'm gonna count, you know. And I and that and there that's perfect. And I might not have learned it in this life, and that's okay, yeah. right? And. To answer your, to get back to your original question, Leslie, it was, it was such a process. You know, I had the surgery, they removed the wire, I was walking, but I was still in just as much debilitating pain. So I went right back to my bed for two more years because I put all my hope in this external thing. This can fix me and make me better. And of course there was still so much trauma and so much devastation that I had never accessed. I'd only lived as a numb disassociated state for all my whole life. Yeah. And there had been so much devastation. And, and so I went into the bed for two more years until my husband left and some other really painful things happened. And I had the biggest nervous breakdown. That wall was the greatest, that breakdown was the one of the greatest gifts because that's where the breakthroughs began to happen. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I'll either die or I have to change something. Like, so that's when I decided to wean myself off of all the narcotics, which was terrifying. And I did it on my own. And it took me about four months, which I'd not recommend to anyone to do, but something in me just like knew, like this is this first step. Like I have got to get off these drugs. They are not helping. I'm miserable. I'm in so much pain. Nothing's better. I'm just yeah. a shell of a human. And that was the beginning. And, you know, and when my husband leaving, like that was this, this next invitation. Cause it's like, I had no money. Have a penny to my name. I had to figure out how to fucking pay my bills. I'd not worked in seven years. You know, oh, I literally and this is
2: like all throughout your twenties, right?
1: That moved into thirty-three. That when we got okay. divorced, I was thirty-three. It was like the Jesus year. I mean, it was like you know the and that seven-year cycle closed out. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. I didn't know what any of this was at the time. I had no access to my spiritual self, which, my God, that's like my superpower. You know. And that started me on its own little journey. Um, and I was still asleep on a lot of levels. Like I um, I still hadn't done, I didn't understand the mind-body connection. I still hadn't learned how to tap into my emotions. I was kind of white knuckling it because I was still in so much pain all the time. I didn't know that I was empathic. I didn't know that I was absorbing everything, you know? And I would go and I would make myself show up and do and be And then I would crash and get in the bed for a week because I'd be in so much pain, you know? I'm like, okay, go do this work and show up and be fun, Ruthie, and be extroverted, Ruthie. And then it would zap every single thing in me because I didn't know how to listen to my body, this beautiful body that was just constantly calling me back home to her. I thought she hated me. So I hated my body. Hated. My body. I wanted, I just, and I'd say that constantly that my body hates me. Fuck you. I'm just like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here, you know? Man, so much of what you're saying,
0: I can completely relate to with my endometriosis journey and being in those dark moments of pain and, you know, not understanding why, why me, why me. And now, Looking back and looking forward and looking inner inward now, I realize how much of it was for me. Yeah. What beautiful things have come out of it, how I would not be the person I am today right. without it. And then to even think that my journey with Doug the Pug led me to a place where I could afford the treatment that yes. I needed. Um, you know, I'm great I can proudly say that I'm grateful for it all. And yeah. that's taken so much pain and darkness yes. and just really, really – I never thought my body and my soul would have to go through something like this. Yeah. But now it's – I can't imagine Leslie without that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's – you know – One of the things that I teach, and we actually had a workshop last night, is the invitation of pain. Because so Mm -hmm. often our bodies get louder and louder and louder because of the mind-body connection, right? And we're so disassociated that we do anything to avoid the emotional traumas that we had growing up. And so then our body starts getting louder and louder because it's actually inviting us. It's so loving, as crazy as it sounds. A loud body, my friend Jamie Lee Finch always says that, the loudest body is such a loving body because she's trying to get you to come back in. She's trying to invite you back in to do this healing work, to heal these parts of you that have been exiled, that have been traumatized, That have been so deeply wounded and hurt, and just want to be communed with. They want to be loved on. They want to be nurtured. They want to be accepted. They want to know that they get to be here and get to belong and get to be felt. And our bodies get louder. We get, you know, depressed. We get back pains. We get migraines. We get endometriosis when we're disconnected from these parts of us Mm -hmm. that just. Want to be here, that want to be felt. And I, I would have never experienced plant medicine. I would have never experienced the spiritual path. I would have never remembered so much that is our birthright, right? And this is not in any way for someone that's in it, like dismissing. Like, I don't, someone comes to me, I mean, most of the people I work with are suffering. I would never look at them and be like, oh, This is so good. This is just, you know, you sit with it. Like I have mourned, I have grieved, I wail. Two days ago, on was the day of the anniversary of my wreck. I will, I mean, of the surgery. I was in so much pain and had so much fear in my body, and that gets to be here. Our pain and our trauma and parts of
0: us that we may look back on and be embarrassed about, like Mm. they, they all deserve seats at the table. That was a very I I took a course with someone last year way before my surgery and that was one of the most profound things that I learned is not to pretend like it's not a part of you. That's right. but to invite it in and to be grateful and to like visually, you know, be like hello, like you yes. are loved. Yes. I love you.
2: Yes. You're welcome here. Yes. But wow. Did you know that companies can claim their beef is grass-fed as long as it was fed grass at some point in its life? Did you also know that meat can be marketed American-made as long as it was packaged in America? I'm just learning all of this, and it's pretty crazy. But luckily, Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are the real deal. They're sourced from 100% grass-fed and finished cows that are never fed grains or harmful antibiotics, and they come from small family-owned farms right here in the USA. Paleo Valley beef sticks use old-world methods of fermentation, similar to charcuterie, which gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without harmful acids and chemicals. They are also free of hydrogenated oils, making it one of the healthiest meal snacks on the market. I need to actually try to make a charcuterie board with these beef sticks because they are that good. I've been snacking on these during the day when I need a little protein boost and love all of the flavors. I also love that they use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors often made from GMO corn. To check out Paleo Valley Beef Sticks, go to paleovalley.com slash diving in and get 15% off your first order on us. That's paleovalley.com slash diving in. Let us know what you think. So when did you start sharing
0: your story with you know, the world.
1: Yeah. Well, my story has changed a lot. It's been really interesting. It's changed a lot. I, I knew I was very defined by my pain story when I was parked in my bed, but I didn't realize that the next four or five years I was still very defined by my pain story. And actually, um, you know, Marissa, you met Miles, who owns OnSite and one of the things that happens at one site with it's this emotional wellness place and you go for a week and you do all this experiential therapy, but you're not allowed to tell anyone what you do for a living. You mm, give up your phone. I love that. It's so profound. And the whole thing is about human beings versus human doings. We're so identified by what we do, and ever since then, I've never asked anyone what they do for a living. I, ever since I was twenty seventeen, and it's been the most beautiful thing. So I'm like, I want to know you. Who fucking can yes? You? If you exactly. and people offer it to me all the time, and I'm like, I love you know. You share with me whatever you want, but I never. Ask. That's and so important. It's so beautiful because who? Ca- I mean, I just did this workshop, this training. I don't know what anyone does. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and I fell in love with these humans, you know. But it was such a mind fuck for me, honestly. And it became an invitation because I got there, and usually what would happen is people would be like, "So what do you do?" And I couldn't wait to tell them.
2: I couldn't wait to no. tell them.
1: I'd be like. <laughs> I'm a speaker. Well, what do you speak about? <laughs> I share my story. Well, what, well, what's your story? And I could give them a five-minute elevator pitch, and they'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah, What? you vivacious, you know, it it made me feel so special. I'm so unique. I'm the only human in the world. I'm so profound. And look at me now. I am amazing, you know, and I love that version of me so much. Oh my God. She's so perfect. (laughs) I can't even stand it. She's so perfect. And you know, like at the time I couldn't tell anyone what I did. And I'm like, who am I if I'm not this pain story? Mm-hmm. It it literally because up to then it like made me it kind of made me feel like I was automatically included. I I deserve a seat at the table. Everyone wants to know me. I'm like I'm so unique. <laughs> I'm so special. And all of a sudden I'm like, who who am I? It was a mind fuck. Like it truly I was like so confused. And again that became a part of an invitation for me. And then it wasn't until about a year and a half later. I was writing my book, which did a massive number on me because I was re traumatizing myself. Oh, yeah. Reliving these things. And the first time around, I was on narcotics and, like, you know, and I'm trying to, like, be here. And I'm like, it sent me on a massive, painful, traumatizing journey because I still had not been embodied. I still hadn't learned how to commune with these parts of me. Even though I knew so much about trauma, it was all really a rumor. None of it had been embodied yet. And that became another invitation. I hit this like massive break. I mean, it was dark. And that sent me to plant medicine And I don't think everyone, I know everyone doesn't need plant medicine to wake up, but that ended up, it called me and that ended up being a part of my journey of waking up. And, and I remember it was literally, I was with my girlfriend, girlfriends, and I went in, like, I even thought the name of my book was Salvaged, Building a Beautiful Life with Broken Parts. Like that's what we sold, Simon and Schuster bought that book, bought that title. I thought I was broken. I was calling myself trash. And I had this plant medicine experience. And literally, I was like, I remember just coming out and be like, I'm not broken. What? The? I, I'm not trash. I am created. I am this divine, profound, eternal being so loved. I am that love. And I'm created to heal. And it was like, it was one of the wildest night and day. I remember calling my... My agent, my editor, I'm like, every, that's not the book I'm writing. Like, I can't, wow. I will not put something out there and, you know, feed, because I grew up in a church that said I was a broken, depraved wretch, you know, I, and yeah. I believed it. I believed something was inherently bad, broken, and wrong with me and my body. And that sent me on, I mean, that that experience, you know, a million things have happened since then, but that was the a massive shifting point of remembering, of unlearning so many of these limiting stories that I knew by heart that weren't even my stories that I'd inherited from my mom and from the church and from the patriarchal system and from the government and from every freaking thing I look at on my phone, you know? And I
2: was like, Mm -hmm. it's all a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's wild. Because I feel like going back a little bit to identifying as your pain story as you know, what you do. It, Leslie and I talk about this all the time, because, you know, we both are kind of, uh, we identify ourselves with our businesses that we grew, yeah. you know, Leslie yeah. is Doug the Pug, and I'm yeah. that cheese plate. And even yeah. before that cheese plate, I identified as working with John Batiste for so many years, right. and working in the music industry, and yeah. having all these kind of like sexy job titles. It's like, it makes you feel a little bit like, sure. you know, it's like, ooh, I have this like fun fun thing that I do. And people gravitate towards that. So getting that response back from others validates you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But both of us have been especially with this podcast have been trying to, you know, really work out of that narrative and find like, who am I outside of Mm. cheese? Who am Mm. I outside of this like, social media creator? And for you, it's like you have an Instagram following, and you're so vulnerable on Instagram. How did you kind of disconnect that persona of yourself online yeah. to the persona who you are inside? And do you ever feel like insecure about showing your vulnerabilities mm. to mm-hmm. the masses like that to be judged?
1: Mm. Oh, of course. Listen, every day I came home as a child, my mom would say, what'd they say about you today? What'd they say about your outfit? Did they say how pretty you were? Everything was about what everyone outside of me Said about me. And so that is, that voice sits at my table. You know, a big shifting thing happened for me in 2019. It was another seven year cycle, which I didn't even know what that was. I had, it was seven years to the week of my nervous breakdown. I stopped sleeping again. Our body, the body keeps the score. It was Mm -hmm. because there was so much inner child. There was so much preverbal stuff that I, when I had my first breakdown, I just thought it all had to do with my wreck and my pain. You, you couldn't have told me that there was trauma or generational trauma or past life trauma. I would have just been like, bitch, I'm the, there's a wire in my brain. You're going to tell me that there's something more going on here. I'm going to punt you to the moon. You know, like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't believe that there was anything. I would have told you I had the perfect childhood. You know, we're so conditioned to believe so many of these things. And That seven-year cycle hit and, you know, I was riding this wave. I'd woken up. I'd started doing all this work. I had this, you know, amazing book deal. I had all these famous friends and all, it all came to a head and some shit burned down. And it was so painful, but it was all, anything that burns down was never truly ours. It's the masks. It's the things that we put on to feel worthy and valuable it's all these layers right i walked away from some big friendships that you know i thought made me special and important and gave me a lot of attention Um, and that was really brutal and i had to take a really good look at myself a really hard look at myself you know a thing that sits at my table that i was not conscious of that I, i was using people and they were using me too. I mean, I went conscious. Am I a horrible human? No. I didn't know I was doing it, but it made me feel special knowing the and being connected to these people. And I burned it down. I stepped away. I got I I went into a wintering season where it was like I shrunk my world. I deleted Instagram. I I was like, I gotta figure out who I am outside of all this noise. Like this, I'm I have created. And it was a beautiful, I mean, you know, I've gotten to do some amazing, profound, beautiful things and there's incredible humans, incredible humans. No one's bad, like no one's bad in this scenario, but I just got to have a really hard look at myself and what I was a part of and what I was willing to stay a part of and what I wasn't. And I shrunk my world so strong and then 2020 happened not long after, and I just kind of shrunk it even more of what was true, you know, it really gave me insight into like who I am, what actually matters, what's actually valuable. And again, that piece of me that still thinks like, oh, you know, I want people to think I'm so special and think I'm so profound and think that, you know, I'm whatever, you know, all the stories, it's just chatter. Um, That's in me. It's very much in me. And it doesn't fit anymore. And it doesn't have to drive. It doesn't have to sit at the head of my table anymore. But it sits right here beside me. My ego sits right here beside me. I want people listening to this to think I'm the most profound, awakened, whatever. And that's my cute little ego. My essence, my truest, truest, grounded, higher self knows it's none of my business what you think of me. It's not a I love that.
2: Business. That's something that I feel like on a personal level, I have to remember. And I love the analogy of all of these parts of you sitting at a table with you, but that ego is not driving the ship. Because I've mm-hmm. been in moments of like, mental spirals of the Instagram algorithm, whatever you want to say, and it is fully driving the car. And I'm like, That is all I'm thinking about. And then when it takes a back seat, you're like, whoa, why did I even let you up here? You stay back there. But it's not like it just goes away. And it's for you, you know, it's like you have had all these profound awakening awakening experiences, but that doesn't mean that's 100% of your personality now. Like, wow, every day is beautiful. And every day, like, you still have all these other pieces to you, which I think is something that's important for people to remember. You know, it's like, the importance is what is steering the ship, and if that is something that is the real, authentic you that is fueled by love and acceptance and appreciation for life itself, yes. then you won't steer yourself in the wrong direction.
1: Yes, and those parts, those conditioned parts, are gonna come up, and they're gonna come up, and they're gonna. I mean, this is the work I do. Literally, this is what I teach. This is every client yes. I work with. Like, I, I, I tell them every time, I'm like every part of you gets to be here. No one on planet earth has ever healed through shame. Usually these parts of us come up and then we become our own second arrow, our own second wound. We shame the shit out of ourselves for being so fucking human. And then this downward spiraling thing takes over and it drives. But what if every time these parts come at like feeling jealousy, what part of you thinks that you're not enough and that there's not enough for you, to I want to love on that part of you, you precious girl. You precious girl. That changes people. Mm-hmm. That's, that is a world. We heal through love. We don't heal through shame. And then all of a sudden, jealousy's just in the freaking seat, buckled in in its high chair. You know, like <laughs> it's, it doesn't have to drive. It doesn't have to yeah. drive. It's transformative. Shame and
0: guilt and all of those feelings have such a low vibration. And Rob is that person for me. I'm working on being that person for myself that can, you know, look at myself in the mirror or in a moment of meditation and be like, I love that part of Mm -hmm. you. But, you know, I also do share those feelings with Rob when I'm having them. And he naturally is a person for me that it's okay. I love you. Like, you you know, we'll get through this together. And all of those words and the feeling of love that I need in those moments. And it is truly beautiful and unbelievable how much you feel your body just lift. Yes. Once you say it out loud yes. and you kind of give it a face and then you can look at it and be like, you are not that you are not defined by these feelings. Um, before my surgery, I was probably in like the deepest depression and had the most anxiety I've ever had in my life. Um, And I was going through a period of intrusive thoughts. Yes. Um, And they were getting scary and, you know, talking to my therapist and, you know, we can put you on medication and we can do all of these things. And I knew that wasn't the answer for me. Obviously, medication is a beautiful thing for many yeah. people. I don't want to yeah. discourage anyone sure. from taking that route. Same. But what was so beautiful was just when when they would start taking over, just you know, saying them out loud and mm. sharing mm-hmm. it with Rob mm-hmm. and realizing it's like once it comes out of your mouth and you say the thing that you're so ashamed of, it it has no more power that vibration mm. is dissipated it's gone yeah. and then you feel so much more free and i think you know what you're saying is so true because if we could all just be there for each other and be the people we you know, you can come to me with anything and I yes. will still love you. Yes. I think we hold so much fear of what other people think and, yes. you know, wanting to people please and wanting to appear, our ego wanting to sh- shine us. I'm, I'm perfect. I don't have yes. any oh. bad thoughts or I don't have any jealousy. I don't yeah. have any, but like how beautiful
2: to be able to sit with people and. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> so our dear friend who she is an incredible human being. Yes. She is going through leukemia right now for the second time. We are sending her all of our yes. the most positive, loving, healing vibes. Um, but she started something in COVID called the Isolation Journals, and this was a daily journal prompt. And mm. it kind of it ignited just this motivation every day to mm. write about a different prompt. And it was so inspiring and beautiful. She just got a bone marrow transplant and launched another 100-day project because when you get a bone marrow transplant, 100 days after that is technically like your first birthday. And she's calling on everyone to do a creative act every day. And so I decided to start writing poetry every day because oh, for me, I feel like just getting the words out on paper yes. helps me feeling you know, blocked in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But Ruthie, I, I saw that you started dancing every day. You know,
1: I was a little girl. I always loved dance. I love dance more than anything, but it was very much to get attention. Like I got a lot of attention for it and a lot of affirmation for it. Like my, I mean, we'd be at the grocery store my brother would be like, go shimmy for them. And my bony ass would go <laughs> up and shimmy for people because I gave me, people liked it and I wanted attention. And so I would put on shows. If my parents had people over, I would like... I would perform and I just loved it, you know? But it was never for me. I never danced just for me. It was always to be consumed. It was always performative. And that was how I was brought up. I mean, I was was trained to do this, right? And I love that version of me and I love my parents because they were doing the best they could. They were trained to do this shit. And when I started having, and in college, it was the same thing. Like I was known as the tall girl that's always smiling and always dancing. Like always, if there was a party, (laughs) I would bring this big ass CD case with all the hip hop and I would make it into a dance party. And and it was just so fun. And then when my pain started, I stopped dancing completely because I didn't do anything that would cause my pain to be worse. And every breathing made my pain feel worse. And so I didn't dance for many, 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 many years. And then as I started doing this awakening journey, it was really interesting. I started studying about the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And it's actually really, There's this is not just Ruthie's words. This is like what it is. For men, their form of connecting with God is in stillness and meditation. Wow. For women, it's through our bodies. It's through movement. And we are not taught how to move our body. We are taught, you know, we have, when I was a child, if I felt like rage, I I would have been whipped, you know. So you learn to swallow it and our body Mm -hmm. holds it. And think about, like, you know, you're looking at your animals right now. If an animal Mm -hmm. is scared or gets chased by another animal, the second the danger is over, do you know what the animal does? Shakes. (laughs) <laughs> it shakes yep. all over, it moves it through its body, and then it goes and takes a fucking nap or goes and takes <laughs> eats because they know every animal, which this is an animal body, knows mm. how to do this. Watch children, watch them throw fits, watch them shake all over. They We come here knowing how to do this, and then it's shamed out of this, and then we get controlled and we want to be behaved, and we sit in a desk all day long. But there's a woman named Michaela Bowen. There's so many teachers out there that teach like non-linear movement. So if one of the things I tell all the women I work with, I'm like, just choose one song a day to start out. You can put a blindfold on if you want to. You don't have to look. This is not for consumption. This is not to be seen by anyone else one song a day, check in with yourself and see how you're feeling. If you're feeling stuck, ask your body, how do you want to move a stuckness? It is to move emotions through your body. I will dance sometime as joy and I am skipping around and prancing. I will dance. You saw on my Instagram the other day, I was dancing with my fear and I just cried and I let my body move as fear. And this could literally just be, you know, a girl that I've gotten to work with is paralyzed from the neck down and she just moves mm. her head and she'll move her mouth and she'll move her eyes. You, you, it doesn't matter if you have pain, it could be just one finger. Well, how does your body want to move as this thing, you know? And it just, it starts with a song a day. Like it literally doesn't have to be more than that. And I usually want to do a lot more, but like you can kind of just, you know, this song, makes me feel this way. And I want to get up and I want to move. And sometimes I don't even make it about an emotion. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to move my body and see what wants to come up. I've had experiences. I'm not even kidding with a blindfold on dancing that I felt like I was on ayahuasca. Like it was wow, <laughs> the wildest, most beautiful. And I was wet with sweat from head to toe. And it was like, this is what we were made for our bodies know how to do this. And when I read it was from this data David Data article when I read about how women connect with the divine and the divine with themselves and have meditation through movement, I was like no wonder I'm obsessed with tea ceremony. No wonder dance is my cuz I have sat I have tried 9 million types of meditations and I'm like the fuck I And I know there's women that like, this is not me saying women can't. Of course, of course they can. But the deepest depths of connection I have felt have been through movement in my body, not cerebrally, not Mm -hmm. trying to leave my body, because that's oftentimes what meditation is, which is the more masculine, is like, you know, you can have such discomfort in your body and who cares? I'm like, I want to honor the discomfort in my body. I'm not trying to leave my body. I am incarnated in a body and that's the feminine. That's why we need Mm -hmm. each other they're the zoomed out like eagle seeing the big picture and we're like in the earth in the dirt feeling our bodies connected to everything right does that make sense
0: oh totally I yeah. I, I love this so much because I used to feel so like frustrated when I would yeah. try and I would I'd find the coolest meditation and you know I would sit down and I'd be like okay I'm gonna do this yeah and then five <laughs> minutes goes by and it's like my body just gets really angry and I'm like, yeah. oh, I can't I can't do it and then I feel like well, I guess I'm not good enough to meditate. No. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not, you know, like got to practice. Everyone's like, mm. it's a practice. And it's like, I have ADD. Right. right. <laughs> yes. and, uh. and moments moments of stillness and calmness are beautiful, but yes. I always need music. Yeah. And it makes so much sense why, you know, going even going on a walk, going mm-hmm. on a run, mm-hmm. but just like moving, yes. it,
2: it,
1: that's, I've, uh,
2: Yeah. I've I had, like, very spiritual moments in spin class, believe
1: yes. it or not. Oh, yeah. Of course you have. That's and because it's like that's the feminine.
2: Yeah. And now I'm, like, thinking back. I'm, like, wow, that's why I love spin so much because it's a movement to music. Yes. And it takes you to a different place. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've felt more spiritual there than I have in, yes. like, silent meditation. Yes. 100%.
1: That is y- y- your textbook. That's the feminine. Like, that is wow. And I had no idea, and it blew my mind. I was like, I thank God I worked with this incredible teacher that helped me because I was just like, I have tried nine million types of meditations and. You know, I don't understand. I can't, I don't ever get to that place. And, and I know women that do. This is not, it's not either. We all hold the masculine and the feminine within our bodies. Mm-hmm. I just hold a lot of feminine, you know, and that my expression is the feminine. And it just made sense to me when I found tea ceremony. I'm like, because I'm, I'm in flow. Every sense is ignited. And think about if your five senses are ignited, your sixth sense gets ignited. That is the feminine. Like it's so, I had I've had experiences with the divine in tea that I'm like, never have I ever in trying to be silent. I I just I haven't, and it doesn't mean it can't happen, and it doesn't mean it won't at some point. But that has been my portal to God, like into remembering the goddess within me. You know, so dance and tea are my two like massive portals. I love that. Yeah, man, it's beautiful
0: it makes sense why like at an EDM concert they mm-hmm. people have profound yeah. experiences because yeah. it is, it is so truly, true. I love EDM music. That is kind of m- my escape when I'm not listening to rap or like yeah. screamo or all of <laughs> or my Michelle other, genres, or, Mich- <laughs> or Michelle branch or Hillary Duff. <laughs> Avril. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Avril yeah. love Avril. Um, so what is the best piece of advice that someone mm. has given you?
1: Mm. I think it just goes back to that original thing we were talking about earlier that that every part of me gets to be here. That I think is the most life-changing gift that we can give ourselves or to another human that every part of us gets to be here. Every part.
0: That's really beautiful. And another takeaway that I've had from our conversation is how changing is beautiful. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we should celebrate these new parts of ourselves that we unlock. And, you know, I feel like I'm changing all the time. And Mm -hmm. I look back at my college years. I'm like, that's not me or all of these different times. But that's okay because it got me to where I am now. And I shouldn't – I don't need to care so much about what people from those parts of my life think of, oh, well – Leslie's way different now. It's like, yeah. that's beautiful. We're that's we're meant gift. to change. Yeah,
1: yeah. I had a family member last year reach out to me and because I had done this whole ceremony where I married my own body and they were like, um, are you okay? Do you need help? Like I can help you escape. You've just changed so much. Of course I've changed. I hope you say that about me. Every year for the rest of my life, we are not meant to stay the same. And the thing that's so wild that I've really gotten to integrate and that I, it's still hard for me because I just never want to cause harm I never want to hurt anyone. I never want anyone to be scared of where how I'm living because I just get fucking weirder by the minute. I am the woo woo but also science. Like, I love it all. I just get weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder, and I feel like I barely started. And, you know, <laughs> what's so beautiful and what I've realized is it's actually so loving to activate people. I use activate over trigger. <laughs> And I think there's women that activated me so deeply. Like my friend Krista, we talk about this. She activated the shit out of me. She was getting way witchier and woo-wooer. And I'd be like, ooh, like, oh God, you're freaking me out. That is just way too out there. And now I am like so much weirder than anything that activated. But she was an invitation of like, even though it activated me, and everyone, it won't go that way for everyone. Some people are good, a lot of people have walked away. From me, and don't follow me anymore because I scare them or I weird them out. And their journey is so perfect. Oh my god, they're so perfect. There is nothing about them that I'd want to change.
2: Nothing. And it's like going back to what you said of like other people's opinions are none of your business. None Anyways. of my business. It's none of my like, business.
1: And you're on your this, own path. And no one. I love the quote from I never know how to say his name, but Anias men or something and he says, no one sees the world as it is. We see it as we are. Everyone's seeing it through their own lens. Like when I'm activated by someone, it doesn't have shit to do it actually mm-hmm. it's a part in me that has been exiled that isn't been allowed to be here that freaks me out that I don't want to look at and this person is bringing it up and mirroring it to me and so I don't want to look at it you know and that's actually loving as crazy as that is it's actually loving like there's moments where I'm like I don't want my nieces and nephews to be scared of me and their parents are probably telling them the, who knows you know like everything's going to hell and and then there's this other part of me I'm like it's so loving For them to see this in me. Because hopefully, and their journey is perfect, and they might not figure it out in this life, and that is perfect. But hopefully, even those activations ultimately become an invitation for them of what's possible, the freedom that's possible. You don't have to fit in this tiny little box. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to act. You don't have to behave and fit in to belong. You even if you lose this belonging, there's so there's a truer belonging out there for you that accepts every part of you. You get to be a fucking hot mess. You get to be a sexual, sensual. If you're gay, that's perfect. Like anything is welcome here. Everything is welcome here. And that is loving. That's loving, right? And so like when I lose followers, I'm like, there's an ego part of me that's like, hmm, my true self is like, oh, bless you, you precious human. You're perfect. You're absolutely perfect. And No one needs to believe what I believe. Their journey's perfect. There's nothing to fix here, you know? Exactly.
2: So talking about um, change and journey and what's to come, do you have any fun projects up ahead that you want to share? Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel really... Since it's funny, since the equinox happened, there's been a real shift. I'm like, it's spring, you know. There's things that I'm excited to put out in the world. I just started doing these six weeks um, cycle love reflection sessions for women, and we dive in. I, I mean, the meetings I've had this week, I'm just like, oh my god, I fall. Well, I fall in love with everyone, and there's no in between for me. It's just <laughs> I fall in love with them, and we you know there's so many going through deconstruction that we're in have religious trauma there's so many that feel their sexuality is blocked there's so many that um have left their bodies and and we get to just oh, it's so beautiful i just i can't i can't believe that i get paid to do this work like i can't believe that this is my job that I get to do this it's just the most insane beautiful thing ever um so that really excites me so i'm doing these six week cycles and i'll keep Doing it. So, like, there's, you know, people can sign up for the next round. Um, this round is full, but um I also I get to lead like retreats and workshops. And I'm Fun. yeah. So like I do a lot around the invitation of pain and how to it's always inviting us back in. I work with Dr. Hillary McBride, I work with this woman, Nicole Sachs, I do workshops with my friend Audrey Assad that I was talking about earlier. I'm, leading, I'm doing a retreat in Italy at the end of May, um, in Mexico, in August or September. I'll be at the Omega Institute. So I'm always, there's always things. And then I have a substack. And so for people that don't have necessarily a ton of funds, like on Wednesday night, we had um, a movement medicine dance night, you know, and so for anyone that signed up for my substack, You'll get my newsletter, and if you pay $6 a month, I do, like, new moon and full moon ceremonies. I do dance ceremonies. I do – I mean, there's a podcast. There's so – there's always a million little fun – it's basically just all the sh- – I want to hang out with my friends. I want to, like – you know, it's it's like I, I get so much – I don't do anything that I don't want to do and that I don't get so much out of. And so, yeah, yeah you can follow along um, with my Instagram. It's just Ruthie Lindsay. L i n d s e y or signing up for my Substack, and that's how you find out all the things that I'm up to. And if you're on my Substack, you get the I I tell people there first before I use it a lot more than Instagram. Um, so that's where you can find out all, all the workshops, all the retreats, um, just all the different medicine that I love to offer to the world. Wow. Amazing. Thank
0: you so much for coming on today and sharing your beautiful wisdom and infectious spirit. We're just so Mm. grateful. And I think that this conversation will resonate with so many people. Mm. So
1: thank thank you, you, Ruthie. It's my honor. I appreciate you. I see y'all. Oh, my
0: God. I, I think Marissa needs to fly to Nashville so we can all just have a dance party yes, and yes, a tea ceremony tea Ceremon-
1: Oh Let's my God, do no. it. <laughs> yes, come on sister, a party. Let's do it. I'm so in. I would love that so much. So, so much. I'm down. We'll make it happen. Perfect, yes. Perfect. Yes. perfect. Thanks for listening to
0: this week's episode of Diving In. This show is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is by Rob Schanelli. As always, if you liked this episode, please share us with your friends and family and give us a five star review and hit that subscribe button to be reminded when a new episode comes out. If you have any questions for the show, our email is infodivingin.community. To stay up to date with all things Diving In, you can follow us on Instagram at divinginpod or visit us online by going to divingin.community. See you next time.